just now occurred to, uh, to me the section of God's word from Luke, the fourth chapter, which I'll just read before uh, we turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer and then consider this evening's topic. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pause for prayer. Our Father in heaven, great God and Savior, our great prophet, high priest of heaven, King of kings, we thank you that you have loved us in the Lord Jesus Christ from before the foundation of the earth. That you have saved us, Lord, from our sin and the misery that it brings. And that you have given us all nature of blessings by your grace and through your promise of life. Father, we praise you for the topic which is ours to consider in light of your word this week. That as your plan of salvation, your plan of redemption unfolds throughout the ages, it has been evident to God's people throughout that you called a specific people to bless them and to make them a blessing. A family that you raised up, that through that family you would bless all the families of the earth. A people for God's own possession, that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us from darkness to his marvelous light. Father, we pray that you would continue to lead and guide, teach and instruct us. And give us this measure of blessing, Lord, that we would have an ever-increasing burden for those who are utterly lost in their sin dead even in their trespasses and sin. That we would let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Lord who is in heaven. We ask this in his name. Amen. This evening's lecture, what I would like to do uh, tonight is kind of uh, continue on through our talks this morning and bring them by way of application to how it is that we as God's people are called to serve in this missionary mandate, the task of evangelism, uh, as Christ's prophets, as Christ's kings, queens, as Christ's priests. Uh, you will find in your outlines, if you turn in them, to uh, page 19, the outline there for this evening's message. Personal evangelism and the offices of Christ. And while I think, as I was reviewing this this afternoon, it might be the case that I'm just a touch apologetic for the nature of this evening's message because of the four uh, evening talks, I think this would probably be a little, probably perhaps the most academic or heady. And yet, nevertheless, there is 
so there are some areas where I'm going to ask the children to put on their thinking caps and recall perhaps those things especially where they've learned from the shorter catechism, the three offices of Christ. If you have learned those, I'm going to ask you to, to go back and you know, dust off the, the, the memories and try to recall how it is, how is it that Christ uh, ministers to us or in the terminology of the catechism, how does Christ execute his office of a prophet? How does Christ execute his office of a priest? How does Christ execute his office of a king? And that will serve as the outline of three points in the backdrop for our discussion this evening. Personal evangelism and the offices of Christ. One of John Calvin's great contributions to the Reformed faith, to the church, uh, which has been a blessing to the church throughout the ages, was his under, uh, observation in the New Testament, but really as uh, Alan, Pastor Pontier, was mentioning to us, observing through Psalm 116, not just the New Testament, but throughout scriptures, uh, expounding the Lord's ministry as mediator in terms of three roles, or three offices, if you will, the prophet and the priest and the king, three different aspects of his work for his people. And these aspects uh, of his ministry, the three offices, really are highlighted throughout the book of Hebrews. And you have some uh, references there in your outlines. I won't go through and read all of them this evening in the interest of time. But there in the book of Hebrews, we see Christ functioning in these three great roles. Christ as the foremost and final prophet who preached the message concerning himself. Christ, Christ also as our great high priest. Uh, who offered up himself to God as a sacrifice for our sins, and Christ as our great messianic king, exalted to the throne, seated at the right hand of God, and the corresponding uh, references in the book of Hebrews that you have there before you. We who, are, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are called to obey him as our king, to trust in him as our priest, and to learn from him as our prophet. You see, when we center on Jesus Christ this way, we become what we are in Christ. Christ is the unique prophet, the once for all, the unique priest, and the unique king. And believing in this, trusting in this, giving our lives to this is the hallmark of authentic Christianity. But as we obey his command to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, according to the promise that he will be with us until the ends of the age, that he will be in us as we're united to him, so too we have to see that although he is uniquely the one who functions in those three roles, we are uniquely equipped for the task to which he calls us. So although it's once and for all in Christ Jesus, but in a lesser sense, but in a very real sense, we are his prophets, we are his priests, and we are his kings. To obey him as our king, to trust him as our priest, and to learn from him. Uh, oh, I got it. Yeah, the, the order's back there in your outlines, but just to make sure you have an opportunity to fill in the blanks to learn from him as our prophet. First, let's look then at the order as we usually learn it, Christ as the prophet. As Christ being our prophet and then being prophets in Christ, we must learn to show and tell, to show forth and tell his word to the nations. As God sent prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our, our salvation. Now that's what we've learned in the catechism. How is it that Christ executes his function, his role as a prophet? The Lord Jesus Christ executes his role as a prophet 
by revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvations. Well, in a lesser sense, we are prophets in the sense that we too are spokesmen, spokeswomen for God in this world. In Moses' day, that was a fond wish and little more. You might remember back in Numbers in the 11th chapter, the time when uh, Moses was pretty much fed up with the people of God and all their mumbling and their complaining, and he even, uh, as it were, gets it off his chest before the Lord and says that he's not up to it. He's not up to the task. These people are too much a burden of me. And if this is what you ask of me, Lord, then I ask you to remove me from this. I can't stand it anymore. Certainly, the people did push Moses uh, to the limit and beyond. And Moses, with his limitations and frailties, he was certainly a, a, a great mediator for God's people, making great and faithful intercession, but nevertheless a human one. And in the 11th chapter, he shows his weaknesses, that there was another one, a greater Moses, yet to come, who alone could bear, truly bear, the burdens of the elect of God's people and also pay the penalty for the sinful rebellions and murmurings. You remember the setting there. The people were complaining against the food that God had graciously, marvelously, miraculously given them during their time in the desert. And he even dared to say regarding manna, that celestial bread from heaven, that wonderful substance by which they were sustained in their wilderness wanderings, they said, our soul detests this miserable food. They asked for meat and they kept on haunting and hounding Moses. We want meat. We want meat. And in the context of that, the Lord unloads his, uh, the, Moses unloads his burden before the Lord. And the Lord says, gather 70 together. Do you remember the setting there? And I will take a portion of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and I will give it to the 70. And I will have prophets. Actually, there were 70 plus two as it, as it happened. Two more that weren't with the, in the group. And they started prophesying. And Joshua, son of Nun, came to Moses and on Moses' behalf said, now stop these two from prophesying. And Moses had this fond wish expressed. He asked Joshua, son of Nun, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people prophesy in Numbers, the 11th chapter, uh, the 29th verse. That was a mere wish, a fond wish in Moses' day. But in our day, as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church at Pentecost, it has come true. Now, as Peter maintained, the words of the prophet Joel concerning the latter days have been fulfilled. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men dream dreams. Yea, and on my men servants and my maidservants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy from Acts, the second chapter, verses 16 to 18. As prophets, we speak the word of God to our co-workers, to our friends, our relatives, and our neighbors. This is both a great privilege for the body of Christ, and this is also an awesome responsibility because God's word includes in it an element of warning. And I can tell we were kind of hinting at this and moving in this direction this morning as in our discussions and the questions that, was, that ensued. And we will certainly uh, actually focus on this more in the uh, coming talks, Wednesday and Thursday. But suffice it to say this evening, 
that we must be aware of the fact and prayerfully bring to the throne of grace the fact that as we share the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great prophet, we must be mindful of the fact, even yes to our loved ones, uh, to, our, to all that God brings into our lives, that his message, his plan of salvation, the gospel, includes an element of warning that we dare not omit. Ezekiel 33, the sixth verse, writes, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. It is a high privilege. It is also an awesome responsibility. Now, in order to be able to share the word as God's prophets, uh, in, in the general sense of the office, uh, in order to do that, we need to be growing in the word of God. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in our hearts richly. We need to meditate upon this word. We need to delight to study it, to submit our lives and our hearts to it. We need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and that on a daily basis. And I would just, from personal experience, uh, encourage all here this day to make a mental note during your morning devotions or the things you're learning on Sunday for Monday morning, wherever you might be, school, work, or in the neighborhood where it might be, those things which you are learning in family devotions, personal Bible reading, interesting studies, books you're reading, but first and foremost, of course, the scriptures, to just tuck these things away, make a mental note, because it probably will be your experience. I have found it more often as I get older, the case to be my experience, that the Lord will give an opportunity later on in that day that you can share from God's word the exact thing. Is this not the case? I see many heads shaking affirmatively. The exact thing that you learned that morning in your personal and private study. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be a word of admonition. It might be something where the person opens the conversation to you and you say, I was just studying about that in God's word this morning. Let's see what God has to say about that. We take God's word. Yes, there's the specific sense in which uh, for the teaching, uh, for, for the special officers in the church, they are God's prophets and priests and kings, and they make a specific application through the preaching of the gospel and the ministry of the word in our churches or, or um, ministerial intercession in the leading of the worship service. Also, uh, as kings, our teaching elders, our pastors, our ruling elders, which, who, who uh, govern the church under the uh, authority of the Lord Jesus Christ who rules in his church. There is that specific sense. But in a broader sense, in a general sense, the offices are for all of God's people. So the office of prophet. God's people uh, must uh, heed the fact that he calls us to be equipped and to always be ready. And we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with those he brings into our lives as Christ's prophets. Also the priests, the second point on your outline there. As Christ's priests, we must show and tell his holiness and his compassion. Christ is our great high priest. How is it, young ones, perhaps I'll ask you especially, how is it that Christ executes his office of a priest? The answer we know to be that Christ executes his office of a priest in his once-for-all offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice 
and reconcile us to God. There will never be another priesthood like the Old Testament priesthood which has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for his people. The Lord has done that once and for all. Amen? Hallelujah. Yet there is a sense in which all God's people are priests. They all have access to God equally on the basis of Christ's uh, sacrifice. He makes continual intercession for us. We too are to continually intercede. First of all, there in your outlines, you have a couple of verses which show that there is a sense even in, in which this sacrifice, not in the, not in the Christ-like sense, but in, a, in, a, in an indirect, we are called to offer ourselves to God in consecration and praise and worship and service. Peter talks of this explicitly, reminding us that as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You have the note there in your outlines. That's 1 Peter 2. Verse 5. Romans 12, the first verse, of course, Paul has the same idea in mind when he writes to the Romans, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are also to exercise our priesthood in intercessory prayer for one another and also for the world. In this, we have Christ's command. There on your outlines, it says, for one, it says, at his behest, we are to give him no rest. But I forgot to type in, you should have above that, the first point, we have Christ's command to make prayerful intercession for the people of God and also for the world as we exercise our office as as the priesthood of all believers. Isaiah, the 62nd chapter, the 7th verse, says this, You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has established Jerusalem as the place of praise in all the earth. We are nevertheless to continue to beseech him that his glories would be made further known as Christ, the one who has been raised up, would continue to draw all men unto him. Also, Luke 18, uh, verse 1, we know the parable of the persistent widow who would just continue on and on and on and insisting that she would get justice from the unrighteous judge who did not fear either God or man. And the Lord commended her in her persistence. But the first verse of that parable says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. At his behest, we are to give him no rest. Christ commands us to pray to his Father, and we're going to conclude this first part of the section on intercessory prayer as the kingdom of priests in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, with Matthew, the ninth chapter, verse 38. But the command to do this teaches us and reminds us daily of our dependence on God. We need to be dependent on him, and we show that we are such when we pray. We can do nothing alone in all that we would try to do or think or teach or study or learn this week and then apply it as we leave, be it in Baja, California or in Southern California, remember, people of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing alone. Success is not in our hands. Success is in His hands. Biblical evangelizing is a twofold commission. We need to preach and we need to pray. 
We need to talk to people about God, and we need to talk to God about people. God provides a means for us to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and as a means for non-Christians even to be prepared to receive the Word of God, as we considered this morning. And that means is prayer. It breaks down our self-sufficiency. It is our door of access to the Heavenly Father through which, as His holy children, we receive His grace to do His work. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers our prayers. Yes, it's often the case that we feel weak and feeble uh, in our prayers, that we at times don't even know how to pray. But Romans, the 8th chapter, reminds us, the 15th verse, For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Our, spirits, our, our prayers might at times seem feeble or weak, but they nevertheless have a compelling authority, and it's not our own. It's the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we offer our prayers in his name. We come to the throne of grace in and because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have an authority offered in that name by virtue of the Son of God who perfects them and then presents them to the Father. We have an amazing paradox. We have an amazing paradox that we who have the Holy Spirit must constantly seek his presence and his control of our lives by fervent prayer. That would be at about the halfway point of verse 1 in your outlines, Luke, the 11th chapter, verses 5 to 13. And I'm going to have you turn with me in your Bibles to that portion of God's Word. Luke 11, verses 5 to 13. We who have the Holy Spirit must constantly seek His presence and His control of our lives, and to do so by fervent and unceasing prayer. He, Jesus, then He said to them, verse 5, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the other one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This parable reminds us that uh, we are, our words have no power unless the Spirit speaks. Uh, through us. They have no effect unless the Spirit applies them to men's hearts. There in your uh, outlines, a quote from John Piper, he says, God has made the spread of his fame hang on the preaching of his word, and he has made the preaching of his word hang on the prayers of the saints. Our part starts with prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, magnify your glory throughout the ends of the earth. 
Great and glorious are your ways, Lord God Almighty, just and true, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O God, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are worthy. You alone. All nations will come and worship before you, before your righteous acts have been revealed. Our part starts with prayer. Prayer that shows our humble dependence upon him and our asking, our petitioning, that his glory would be magnified throughout the ends of the, of the earth. Now, uh, Matthew, the ninth chapter, verses 36 through 38. Concluding this idea that we have Christ's teaching or command that prayer be our first work of intercession, intercession as uh, priests, that the prayer of intercession will be our first work as uh, priests, the priesthood of all believers. And then I think I, think I left those words blank in your, out, in your outlines uh, there on page 20. Prayer is our first work in the harvest. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. How is it, why is it that prayer is the first work of, of, of the harvest? Well, that's not hard to find. It's because the harvest is the Lord's. He is the Lord of the harvest. He oversees the harvest. Someone needs to supply the workers, the laborers. Someone needs to control its progress. And that someone is God himself. So our first business is not to analyze the harvest fields. It's not to look at their potential returns or its size. Our first business is to pray and to not give up, according to Luke the 11th chapter and Luke the 18th chapter. God, at times, puts our persistence to the test. Isn't that the case? Some of you have been praying for many months for a loved one. And some of you have been praying for much longer than many months. But I stand before you this evening as a testimony and witness to the grace of God. For I know of saints of the Lord Jesus Christ in a small town called Westfield, New Jersey, and a small church in the small town of Westfield, who prayed for my salvation for years before God was pleased to open my heart and to bring me to faith in Jesus Christ. And I am grateful. We all know that at times, God will test our persistence. He promises that he will come quickly, but not always immediately. But immediately is not quickly. That's, that's the case, isn't it, kids, the little ones? There's a difference between immediately and quickly. Ask any eight-year-old counting the days until family camp if it's uh, coming quickly. Uh, and there is a difference. But the Lord wants us to be faithful, diligent, perseverant in prayer, indeed to pray without ceasing in intercessory prayer. We have not only his command, we also have Christ's example throughout the New Testament Gospels, but perhaps especially in the book of Luke. But going back before Luke, let's just think about an example from the psalmist. That great messianic, kingly psalm, Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. Christ tells us how he was made king. Verse 7, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, Today I have become your father. And then verse 8, Ask of me, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. What does Christ do as king in his role there in the second psalm? Here is what the father tells him to do. 
ask of me. His first work as king is to pray. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ will do and does do very much more than that. But he starts with prayer. There will be no harvest without asking of the Lord. Now it goes without saying that Christ was a man of prayer. Even if we didn't have the testimony of the Gospels, we know that he came to be obedient to the will of the Father. But Luke presents Jesus as the man of prayer par excellence. We first read a prayer in the life, in the account of Luke, in the life of Jesus at his baptism. And you might want to jot these down if you have pen in hand, or you can get them from me later. They're not in your outlines. Uh, In uh, the third chapter, the 21st verse, 321, Luke tells us that as Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit came like a dove to mark the opening of the final page in God's history book. The king has come. The priest has come. God's prophet has come. Him to whom Israel of old looked forward with eager expectation has come. Just as the dove had marked another eschatological beginning uh, with Noah in the 8th chapter of Genesis, so now the dove appears and it was while Jesus was praying. He was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and the context of that entire struggle in the book of Luke is the context of prayer, the struggle of temptation in the wilderness. In the 6th chapter of Luke, Luke 6 verse 12, the apostles were chosen to proclaim the kingdom. Luke tells us that before he made the appointments, Jesus went into the hills to pray, and he spent the entire night praying to God. In the same way, or as Caesarea Philippi, Luke chapter 9, verse 18, when Jesus revealed to his disciples in a clearer way than ever before of his imminent death and resurrection and its relation to how he came as king and his messianic purpose. And all this began, Luke says, while he was praying in verse 18. And then in verse 29, in the same way as he records the experience, Luke records the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus conversed with Elijah and Moses about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And all this came about as Jesus was praying. The final cycle of prayer comes where we would expect in the book of Luke, at the place where all the Gospels draw us. the place of that great kingdom enthronement, his death and resurrection. Luke specifically, Luke alone tells us of the four Gospels that Jesus was strengthened by an angel in the garden in preparation for his coming judgment, his coming judgment, salvation, uh, ordeal. And that he tells us also that in the final prayer, he gave up his soul as an offering for sin to the Father. Flip in your Bibles to the 22nd chapter of Luke. And I will lead us as, I, as we read from verses 39 to 46. Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. Luke again presenting our Lord Jesus Christ as the man of prayer par excellence. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Throughout the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, we are presented with Christ as our great prayer intercessor, our great high priest. But in John's Gospel, in the 17th 17th chapter, uh, we see Jesus Christ uh, in prayer for his people. And what do we find? We find him preparing to enter his kingship, and he prays. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son might also glorify thee. The hour of Christ's exaltation, glory, his triumph, has arrived. He's about to sit down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will be king. He will be king indeed. But that is not all. As his as the 17th chapter of John continues, it shows Christ's dependence on his Father. The Psalm, second Psalm says, Ask of me, and the Lord Jesus Christ shows that he comes to fulfill the will of the one who sent him in fervent prayer on behalf of his own. And God answers the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our hope this evening as we go forward. First in prayer according to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ and also according to the example of our faithful great high priest. So two things are are plain. First, that Christ commands us to pray and also that Christ shows us by the example of prayer. We can do nothing alone. Success is in his hands. And then thirdly and lastly for, for this evening, Christ kings. As Christ kings, we must show and tell his righteousness in our willingness uh, and our role as servants. Uh, There you have in your booklets on page 21, the question from the catechism will be, how does Christ exercise his office as a king? Christ executes his office of king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. Now again, there's a uniqueness to his function as a king which uh, would not be duplicated, which could not be duplicated. And yet there's a sense in which we should see ourselves as kings in any situation in which we should enter. As I mentioned this morning, we go in with our heads held high because as we go as Christ's ambassadors, we go with the authority and in the name of him who is king of kings and whose kingdom is forever. Revelation 5 verse 10 says, Thou hast made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. But how is it that we will reign? Not by lording it over one one another. Christ's teaching is clear. That's now not how he exerts his reign, his kingship uh, over us. But rather, as the hymn says, for not with swords loud flashing, nor with roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. 
and then on your, in your outlines, our kingship is expressed not in privilege, but in the responsibility of serving our king by serving one another. The pastors and elders of the presbytery had a, and I guess it was not an oxymoron, Al Pontier, a brief meeting of presbytery this afternoon. We all had our doubts when you said that yesterday afternoon that we have a brief meeting of presbytery, wondering if there was such a thing or if it weren't an oxymoron. But uh, indeed it was. But we were all encouraged as we heard the testimony of a young man that we took under care of presbytery this afternoon uh, by the name of Tony, his last name. Say it again. Monahan. Monahan. Thank you. Tony Monahan. And he mentioned another young man who the Lord used before Tony was a Christian when Tony was living the, the lifestyle of a man who was lost in his trespasses and sin and very happy in his lostness, or so he thought. And he came to Southern California thinking that he had a job and an apartment lined up, came out here only to find out that he did not have the place to live that he thought he was going to have. And a man named Scott, and, and, and I, I, I kind of lost it. The acoustics weren't that, that clear. I, I wasn't sure how it was that he lost contact with Scott, but clearly what we understood was that he was out incommunicado. He, doesn't, he probably doesn't know where he is or to how, how to get back in touch with him. But another man named Scott, a Christian man, a believer, opened up his apartment to me, he said, and here I was an unknown, and he let me live with him, and I really uh, want to surprise him in heaven, were Tony's words, when I, because uh, he doesn't know that I've become a Christian, by his witness to me, and his uh, servant's heart, and I'm suggesting to all of us this evening, that that is a proper exercise of our kingly function, as we serve our Lord Jesus Christ, in, in, in uh, discharging our responsibility, to serve others in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, opening up our hearts, opening up our homes, saying we don't know exactly where this will lead, but we trust the one who has given us this opportunity. We trust that he is faithful and we will make uh, our lives at his service uh, in this opportunity he has given to us. Our kingship is expressed, not in privilege, but in the responsibility of serving our king as we serve one another. So our role then as prophets, that we would declare the word of God in the name of our great prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God, which became flesh and dwelt among us. Our role as priests in the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and our role and function as kings in him who is the king of kings. Now I overlooked a a paragraph that I wanted to read when I was speaking of the uh, role of prophets that I came across in collected writings of John Murray who was saddened by the fact that he saw the handwriting on the walls in his day and the departure from the New Testament uh, teaching uh, regarding to the institution he writes at the present time of the office of the ministry of the word and its opening uh, to women and I will quote I will read the quote from John Murray A disquieting departure from the New Testament institution at the present time is the opening of the office of the ministry, the special office of the ministry of the word, to women. In this, there is failure to recognize and maintain the line of distinction between the general office of believers and the special office of the ministry of the word. There is not only ample opportunity, but an indispensable place and privilege for the activity of women in the witness to their faith. It is here that women properly 
and necessarily perform the most effective service in the propagation of the gospel. Particularly does this obtain in witnessing to their own sex. I assume that more and more, and such is the case in uh, the American culture and Southern California, but consider how true that is in the culture to which you have sent me and which I now represent in the country of Mexico. Uh, there are here avenues of evangelism that are scarcely open to men. If women were alert to their opportunities and responsibilities in this realm of more personal witness and instruction, then not only would there be no plea on their part for entrance into the special office, there would be recoil from the mere suggestion. How true. So, be encouraged this evening then as we go. Be encouraged from God's word that the Lord has sent to us the one in whom the three offices of the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king have coalesced, our Lord Jesus Christ, our great prophet, our great high priest, and our majestic king, but the one who sends us with the prophetic message, with priestly intercession in prayer, and with the deeds of love and service as we minister as kings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. High King of Heaven, we thank you for the victory that you have won on our behalf. We thank you that you have that you are for us our great prophet, our priest through whom we have access, bold and confident access to the throne room of grace and our king who has first conquered our hearts and then rules us, defends us and restrains and conquers all of his and our enemies. Father, help us to go forth encouraged, emboldened, with our heads held high, knowing that we minister in the name which is above every name. Help us to be confident, Lord, of the ministry of the gospel of grace in and through us, that you are accomplishing your purposes even to the ends of the earth, that the gospel is now to be offered freely to men and women of all languages, of all nations, of all backgrounds, of all class, and that you, Lord, are the king of this harvest. The harvest is yours. Help us to be faithful in our ministry, in our functions, and our role, looking to and relying upon and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ at all times. Help us to raise our eyes so that we can see that the fields are white unto harvest. And that as you give us opportunities to open our mouths and to share the glorious grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have the boldness to take advantage of these opportunities. And we, your people, We'll give you the honor and the praise in Jesus, our Savior. Amen.